Hello and welcome to What the Story Ghost. I'm your host Annette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 25. Stephen. Annette. Nobody can see it, but I, I do the, the whip. No, the sound comes in sideways, so people will be able to hear it. <laughs> we are heading back to Edinburgh. This one actually came in as a request. So Stephen, this is for you. As Stephen knows, I was working on this. Up- no, not you. Another Stephen. A different Stephen. For the audience. And <laughs> pointing to me. <laughs> And he knows himself because he was texting me. I was working on this up until probably 15 seconds ago because Edinburgh has so much history. Uh, today we are going to cover the Edinburgh vaults. I think that's what I was. we were talking about when I was in, I think I was calling them the dungeons. Dungeons, yeah. We'll have, we'll have a look today. No, see. it was the vaults. We went to the, the vaults. I so I the whole episode of it, what I was talking about was a lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we crack on? Crackly crack. The Edinburgh vaults. Southbridge vaults, or the Edinburgh catacombs. Call them what you will, the story is still the same. These are a dark, dank and sad part of Edinburgh's history. But it didn't start out that way. For around 30 years the vaults were used to house taverns, workshops for cobblers and other tradesmen as well as storage spaces for those merchants. But as always, to understand today better, we have to go back to the beginning. We briefly covered the Battle of Flodinger in our Edinburgh Castle episode when we mentioned how James V became King of the Scots at just 17 months old when his father was killed in that battle. Following the Scots' defeat, the Flodden Wall was built, which was then extended by the Telfer Wall in the early 17th century. The walls never proved very successful as defensive structures and were easily breached on more than one occasion. They served more as a means of controlling trade and taxing goods and as a deterrent to smugglers. There were six ports around the wall. The heads and limbs of executed criminals were regularly displayed above the ports as a warning. Cowgate Port is the only one still visible today. The Flodden Wall enclosed an area of just 57 hectares, around 140 acres, and remained the limit of the borough until the 18th century. Contained within this area in 1560 was a population of around 10,000 people. Considering the population of Edinburgh today is nearly 500,000, it's not hard to imagine how quickly the walls became more of a roadblock to Edinburgh's growth, but it didn't stop the population from increasing exponentially. The city's growing population was accommodated by increasing the height of the houses. Buildings of 11 storeys or more were common and have been described as leaders of the modern day skyscraper. Most of the old structures were replaced by the prominently Victorian buildings seen in today's old town. By the first half of the 18th century, Edinburgh was described as one of Europe's most densely populated, overcrowded and unsanitary towns. Visitors were struck by the fact that the social classes shared the same urban space, even inhabiting the same tenement buildings. Although here, a form of social segregation did prevail, whereby shopkeepers and tradesmen tended to occupy the cheaper-to-rent cellars and garrets, while the more well-to-do professional classes occupied the more expensive middle stories. As the community continued to grow, two bridges were built to facilitate the expansion the North and South Bridges. Edinburgh's South Bridge should be regarded as more than just a simple crossing from Old Town to Southside. It was Edinburgh's first purpose-built shopping street, and as such, as much space as possible was utilised. The bridge itself is a 19-arched viaduct, although only one arch is visible today, the Cowgate Arch. 
The remaining 19 arches were enclosed behind tenement buildings built to allow the area to serve as a commercial district. The hidden arches of the bridge were then given extra floors to allow their uses for industry. In total, there were approximately 120 rooms, or vaults, beneath the surface of the South Bridge, ranging in size from 2 metres squared to 40 metres squared. South Bridge officially opened for business on the 1st of March 1788. It had been agreed that the wife of a judge would be the first to make the official crossing. Unfortunately, she died just days before the opening. However, having already made the promise, the local authorities agreed to uphold it, and her coffin was the first to cross the bridge instead. A superstition arose that the bridge was cursed as a result, and many Edinburgh folk refused to cross it. By the end of the 18th century, the city was booming financially. Tradesmen who set up their shop along the bridge had their workshops below the top level, and below those were the living quarters for those who worked there. But construction of the bridge had been rushed, and the surface was never sealed against water. It was built of limestone, which is porous, coupled with the Scottish weather, meant that the vaults were continuously flooding. This was of no use to the merchants, as it was destroying their stock. As early as 1795, the vaults were abandoned by the tradesmen, but they didn't stay empty for long. Homelessness was a huge issue in Edinburgh, especially in the Old Town. The city's poorest moved into the vaults in droves, rapidly descending them into an overcrowded, filth-invested, disease and poverty-ridden slum. The vault soon became a playground for frequenters of illegal taverns, distilleries, brothels, drug and gambling dens, gentlemen's clubs, unless we forget the other criminal underclass that consisted of murderers, thieves and body snatchers. Anywhere from 10 to 16 people could be living in one room with no running water or light. And as we all know now, when you suppress one sense, the others are heightened. So I continue my list with no method of sanitation or ventilation, and you can make of that what you will. It was sometime around the mid-1800s when the vaults became so uninhabitable that even the poor citizens, though having nowhere else to go, had to leave. The vaults were cleared, and some rooms were filled with rubble to prevent them from collapsing or squatters returning. Locked away was an energy of sadness and depression along with the ghosts of those who couldn't leave. The underground chambers were excavated in 1985 by a former rugby player, Nori Rowan. But before the excavation, the vaults were discovered again completely by accident. This is explained by the tour guide who meets Joe Schwash when he visits the vault. Sorry, credit where credit is due. Joe Swash's director decided it would be a great idea for poor Joe to spend the night in one of the vaults, so a round of applause for Joe. He lasted four hours by himself in the pitch black. He begins his tour in what was in the 70s a student flat. The young men living there one day got bored so started throwing things at the wall. Not in a destructive way, this was before social media so I imagine it was like a tennis ball or something. On realising the wall was hollow, and knowing they didn't have any neighbours on that side, they did what any sane young men would do and knocked down the wall with sledgehammers. Behind the wall, they found Nidri Wines and the South Bridge Vaults. They began their tour and straight away Joe was not okay. I mean, why would he be? 
The tour guide begins by informing Joe of the things that go bump in the night in the very room that he'll be sleeping in that night. But something I've learned from doing research for these episodes on locations that can be toured today is that even if I tell you all the ghost stories or you watch the videos yourself, it is not the same as being there. More than just sightings or disembodied voices, people who visited the vaults have left saying that they were pinched, scratched, prodded and had rocks or stones thrown at them. One of the most amazing stories I learned was of a family visiting from the US. One of the members of that family on the tour was a seven-year-old boy from New York. Someone noticed him sit down on the concrete steps alone, in front of a group of 14 adults, of course, yet have a full-on conversation with who he later described as a young lady. He said the men had been bad to the lady. The steps they sat on are reportedly where the young Elizabeth Ann Morrison was discovered in 1797 with her skull in six pieces. She's been seen walking through the corridors. The common reports back from those who have seen her are that she has long dark hair and blood on her face. The story goes that she initially went to meet two men in the vaults for one reason or another, but she was set upon by a group of 30 men. Because the group was so large, no one was ever prosecuted for her murder. Her body was taken to the local school of anatomy and sold for nothing more than beer money for the local police. I fear that she hasn't noticed time passing and she's waiting for justice to prevail, but it never will. People have heard footsteps along the walkways and the sound of jingling keys. The pubs built into the vaults have also said that they've witnessed a man dressed in a coat and top hat with wiry hair. While the vaults were used by the merchants, they would store their wares in them and the walkways would be looked over by a watchman. So the belief is that the footsteps belong to him. It was common for an employer to purchase a child for labour to work in small places, too small for adults to go like a chimney. You could purchase a child worker back then for £1.50 for seven years of labour. But sometimes they would get up into the chimney and one way or another would get stuck. The employer had two choices. He could either spend a few pennies and get another child up to help free him, or he could light a fire and smoke the child to death. The owner of the tour company was getting one of the vaults ready and noticed the chimney. He was inserting a metal plate into it as it was open and exposed but the metal plate obviously dislodged something and a tiny shoe fell from the chimney opening. They still don't know what's up there as I'm sure no one's volunteered to go up. The Great Fire of Edinburgh was on November 15, 1824. One of the largest structures of the Royal Mile was said to have caught fire starting in an engraver's shop. The wind picked up and the fire spread. Edinburgh had formed a permanent fire brigade only two months earlier and try as they might, the fire raged on for five days. Tragically, the vaults were not an area deemed important enough to render help to and a lot of citizens ran into the vaults seeking shelter. The police were also known to have locked the original entrance to the vaults, leaving hundreds of people to fend for themselves. As stone conducts heat, The people looking for shelter and the families already living in the vaults had been trapped in giant ovens. The idea of slowly cooking alive was too much for parents to bear, so they gave their children a more merciful and quick death. Though it was meant as a kindness, I believe something so tragic leaves an imprint on the space. A few psychics who visit the vaults 
have reported seeing hundreds of spirits down there. Weeks after the fire had been extinguished and the entrances were finally unlocked, people came down to find a horrific scene. Those who hadn't burnt alive died from smoke inhalation or asphyxiation. In one particular section of the vaults, people have been known to walk into a room in the depths of winter where you can see your own breath, but have had to leave because they feel like their skin was burning or they couldn't breathe. But not all of the vaults' ghosts are left behind by unfortunate or tragic circumstances. Some experts believe the vaults were used by serial killing duo Burke and Hare. The pair murdered 16 people between 1827 and 1828 to sell the bodies to an anatomy doctor who was willing to pay them well. The vaults were an ideal place to search for bodies as the mortality rate was so high and people were dying every day. It started when in November 1826 their lodger Donald died of dropsy. Short on cash, Burke came up with the idea of selling the bodies to the local Royal College of Surgeons. They contacted Dr. Robert Knox, who offered to pay them handsomely. Now the average wage at the time was about £40 a year, so when they received £7 for their efforts, they were hooked. They started robbing graves, which was a profitable business at the time, because you could sell the cadaver, but that soon turned to murder. There is a network of rooms behind a hastily bricked up doorway, which does run from Southbridge vaults into the basement of Surgeon's Hall, the School of Anatomy. So not only are the vaults haunted by spirits and smothered in residual energy, but paranormal experts believe that the vaults have their own poltergeist. This spirit is called Mr. Boots, and he has been seen by many visitors and tour guides alike. He is said to lurk and linger in the dark chambers and tunnels. Mr. Boots is one of the most feared spirits. If the feeling of being watched wasn't enough for hearing heavy footsteps pounding behind you, hence the name Mr. Boots, there is a report of a photo having captured his spirit, boots and all. On another occasion, a medium was said to have run from the vaults as she said his intent was completely evil. This further fuels my belief, as the same visitors who've said that they felt his presence are also known to have been scratched and felt cold spots, which are common when a spirit tries to connect with you. As I mentioned before, the entrance to the Southbridge vaults is on Nidri Street. The road itself has a haunting past. Nidri's Wind, as it was known, was famous in the 1580s up to the early 17th century with witchcraft trials. The most well-known among them was a woman named Agnes Finney. She was an Edinburgh shopkeeper, moneylender and widow of James Robertson. She sold things like fish and cakes in Potter Row, but had a reputation for putting curses on people in her neighbourhood. In June 1644, she was arrested on 20 counts of witchcraft and sorcery. One count includes the curse that she put on a young boy in the marketplace after he bumped into her. It said he became paralysed and died two days later. She was tried on December 20th in 1644 and executed on the Castle Hill of Edinburgh on Thursday the 6th of March 1645. But it said that she cursed the entire street, which now lines the walkway into the vaults, so of course she still lingers there. But the history of witchcraft didn't end there. There is a room in the vault that even today is rented out to the source coven of the Blue Dragon, 
They are said to be Scotland's leading pagans or witches. Visitors have said they've taken photographs of what looks like a figure standing in the room, but the witches have blessed the room and placed gargoyles outside to keep out evil spirits. Some think it's a malevolent spirit, or at least a friendly spirit, as the room is said to be protected. This is a nice thought, because one, I think witches and practitioners of the mystic arts are painted in a really bad light by the media today, so I guess not much has changed there. And two, Edinburgh has enough. Enough bad spirits, enough grey, white, blue ladies, enough headless drummers. Let them have a Casper. I think a Casper with a Scottish accent would be amazing. Ah, do you? What did you think of that story? That was a great one. Yeah? It was good. Yeah, it was very interesting. We need, we, need to, we need to get away from Edinburgh for just a few minutes. <laughs> we need to talk to Edinburgh and we get it out need of to, your system. I think we do. Stephen, it's it's captivating. I've loved every single second it's of reading about it. It's so good. And I wouldn't mind. I, I said this to you earlier. I wonder do people come from far and wide to Dublin and kind of go, oh my God, this place is amazing. You guys have the book of cows. And I'm like... Mm. But, but Edinburgh has Witherspoons. Witherspoons is amazing. Sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> I have some questions. Go. Burke and Hare? Yes. How many people did it kill? Uh, 16 over the space of... I don't know if it was over the space of a year or including those two years, but it was over minimum a year. 16 over maximum two years. That's yeah. a lot of... That's a lot of... That's a big number. But I mean, when they were getting paid £7 a go and the yearly rate for an average now I don't know what way they're working that because a lot of people including these two men had been working as tradesmen so they were on crap wages so seven pound a body when the average wage was 40 pound was massive like you bring in a couple of bodies and that's it you don't have to work for a year if you don't want to are you doing the math slowly (laughs) oh I was right yeah Uh, about 112 Mm mm-hmm and what did you say the yearly wage was? Forty pounds. So even let's say even if they did that mm. over over two years, mm. they're already above average. Oh yeah, and their, and on, and on doing very wage. little for it. Sorry, it, it says here that it was over eighteen twenty seven and eighteen twenty eight, but that could be June to June for all we know. It could have been over the space of twelve months. Yes, yeah, or it could be like literally January to December the following yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, they're getting a lot of book for their bang. Yeah, bang being murder, book being dollar bills. Exactly. I was looking at flicking through scrolling and I was yeah. paying attention to you. Of course. <laughs> uh, there's pictures of the vaults and they, you were describing it and you might imagine shop stalls along rows, <gasps> but it's not, it's like two stories of little hovels. Hovels. Yeah. yeah you, like just the space here for two or three people to sleep if you were curled and up. And there was 10 to 16 per room. It was, it would have been, you would have just been a pile of bodies. Yeah. You had a bucket in the corner. And if you couldn't go, what? Like there was no nobody look at me, nobody look at you, nobody listen to you. Everybody had diarrhea because it was just riddled with disease. There was no sanitation, there was no ventilation, there was no water, there was nothing. So maybe it was on purpose that everybody had diarrhea because, like, they probably if they were lucky enough to have a bucket, they chuck it out and it flowed out the stream. But if it was liquidy, then it would just flow easier. And that's about as much of that conversation as because I just realized you're probably going to edit a lot of this out. (laughs) Um, <laughs> no, but like when you think about it, the, remember I was saying um, that the buildings were done out in 11 stories. Yeah. So you would have the rich and the poor alike living in the same, technically in the same building. Yeah. But people that were living in the basements and the garrets, I think I pronounced that right, or the garrets. I imagine that's yeah. the same again. Um. So the lower down the building you were, the lower class you were. But yeah. then at the same time, I was still kind of like, yeah, but the posh people with their nice fancy shoes still have to walk down to the lower level. 
where all of the sewage just got thrown out the window. Yeah. So yes, they were higher, and I suppose the air was probably a little bit better up there. When you and they go, had, when you when, when you, you go, go to leave. Yeah, and you're there, and you know your your few hours peace and whatever you have in the evening. Yeah. At least you're you're up high and out of it. You know? Yeah, and you've got your twelve thousand flowers and your baskets just outside your window to mask any smell that does manage to get up that mm. high. Visitors had come over, and they just thought the mixing of classes was crazy, but yet they still managed to segregate people. They just did it a little differently. Instead Micro, of micro segregation. Yeah, you you deal you do what you can with the space that you have. You know, it's probably worse that way because if you were segregated in other cities, you just lived in a different part of town, mm. and you just saw your own folk. And I and I just mean this for the people who are who were aren't as well off as they'd like to be, mm. and they don't on a regular basis see people walking past them with suits. And fancy shoes, yeah, and no holes in their in their soles, and you're just out in the boonies or the sticks or the suburbs. Mm. But here, everybody's just muddling into one, and you constantly see people probably just constantly throwing a nose up or, you know, uh, brushing you to the side and calling mm. you all sorts of. But it hasn't really changed that much now. You look at areas now, like where we're from, and I can't name a place without offending people, but where's a rich part? Doffy? Doffy's quite expensive. Yep, Holt yeah. is quite expensive. Mm-hmm. You would not find, like, nowadays, it's not as vulgar, but like you said, there would have been a better way to segregate people into different areas rather than the same house, because at least where I grew up, I didn't know any different. I, 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 I came home and my dad was a butcher, my mom was a candlestick maker and the neighbour was a baker. Like we didn't know any different. I came home and I saw men in uniforms because they were either bus drivers or they were security guards. I mean, yeah, my dad never wore a suit except for the day he got married and, you know, uh, uh, like other big occasions. Marriages but, and funerals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my dad was a printer. What did I tell you my mom was? A coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it's crazy because there's no way you can leave your house without actually passing by the beggar down at the end of the door. And I can only imagine that even the privileged young kids, because we've discussed this before, racism, classism and all that, that's that's learned that you don't, you're yeah. not born that way. But even the kids who haven't been exposed to that kind of lifestyle, they're not stupid. They're walking out their door and they're seeing people who are underprivileged and they're kind of like, Mommy, we have like sausage and rashers and eggs for breakfast and these people have like stale old bread. What's, why is it this way? So mm. I don't understand how they managed to mix it all together. What is dropsy? Because I've heard of drop bears. Sounds really Australian, but like, I don't know why. <laughs> Just, there's not no, a bear roaming dro- around in the. Sorry, let me say that again. It sounds, dropsy sounds Australian because I relate it to a drop bear, which I believe is Australian, which I also believe is called a drop bear because it falls out of a tree. Now, I would have called it a drunk bear. That would make more And sense. I'm surprised that the Australians didn't call it a drunk bear because they have funny names for everything. Like, snake is called a no no rope. No, it's not adorable. It's I'm, terrifying. I don't know why I laughed at that. That's terrible. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> Dropsy, Dropsy is like edema. It's, um, do you remember when I was pregnant and I had really, really, really bad preeclampsia and my feet would swell up? It's Dropsy based... is this man got pregnant. No, <laughs> it's he um, dropped a buildup of fluid in a cavity. Okay. But that was a buildup of baby. No, well, what I had was two babies preeclampsia, so I could have tablets. But back then, they just didn't understand what was causing these things, so they probably stuck leeches on them and couldn't understand why you didn't get better. No. I don't know. This but man is still pregnant. Leeches aren't <laughs> the man was pregnant by the drunk. Baby. So it's like if you got depends on where you get the build up of fluid. 
uh, if it's fluid on the lungs, you're out of luck. Exactly, yeah. If it's fluid on your hands or your feet. Maybe he got fluid on the brain. Did you ever see... It was the same hospitals. It was probably Stephen, I can never tell by your face whether you're serious or not because you look dead serious and then you say the Sims. The, Come on. And, and the, there was this, and I just when I said the, the edema head, yeah. and the dropsy head, because I'm imagining just going around like with a big floppy head. Them. But <gasps> like in the Simpsons. But in the actual Sims without the Sims. Oh, sorry. Sims. <laughs> at Sims Hospital, there was this, there was all these diseases and you had to build up enough money to treat people but they, they just get a bloaty head I think it was called okay. and they just have a really large big fat head that comes up and they're all dopey and dozy and couldn't fit between the doors and then they went into the hospital they got treated and the doctor would look at him and you could just see in his thing and he reenacted they poked him in the head with a pin Stop. and his head had burst and then he stuck a hoover hose in his mouth and just reinflate him and then he was like oh thanks doc I'm walking in the door so if, this is vital information for the podcast. I, I really appreciate that input. Pin, is that what you were googling while I was no, talking? No, that was that was it. That was pure memory, <laughs> pure memory, unadulterated memory. I love it. I love this it. This is the important stuff that sticks in my brain. What did you think of the ghosts? Were you freaked out? Would it be something you would be interested in going? I'd like because I know, them. I know, <laughs> no, but you're not meant to be the skeptic, but you usually are. And I know when I was doing the research on the witches and stuff, that's. I don't know, for people who are maybe are a little bit sceptic and don't believe in ghosts or residual energy or any of the things that I am totally open-minded to, it's very hard to deny witches. It's like they're physical people. You can you can actually see mm-hmm. them. So disregard the witches for a second. Everything else that I spoke about. Well, did you find anyone in particular? Talk to me again creepy? about boots. They don't know if he was like a slum landlord. So despite the fact that nobody was legally, there's no documentation whatsoever about anyone that was living there post the merchants moving out. They were all living there illegally. So there's vague writings, but there's no actual letting or... So he could be completely real or it could be total made-upness. No, he could be either a slum landlord. Oh. Or he could be one of the, you know, the guys I was telling you that go up and down the walkways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't know if it's him or if he is a voyeur. Doesn't sound like a series. nice chap. So well, that brings us on to the segment I like to call Who Would Play Who. Okay. And given the fact that you talked about Joe Swash. Yes. And you swooned over Mr. Swash. I didn't swoon over him. I just thought he was very brave. So I thought I would try and find an EastEnders character okay. that might play him. Okay, go. So, Boots, bad guy. Okay. You said Slumdog Landlord. I don't watch a lot of soaps, but in the early 2000s when I lived with my folks. And you were subjected watched, to it, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> this guy, Perry Finwick. Who's that? He plays Billy Mitchell in EastEnders. Oh, God, if he just said Billy Mitchell. No, see, he's not. Mm. You've done it again. This is my segment. Okay, I did. Yes. Sorry, go. No, you can keep all of this in. <laughs> the viewers need to know the abuse I have to... Do you know what... The, okay, do you know what my issue is? I wasn't subjected to EastEnders or Carnation Street, or I will go so far as to say Fair City. I actually enjoyed them. So I know what Billy Mitchell's character was like. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard for me to see him as... Was he... Was he... No, he was a bit of a... A wimp, a little bit of a wimp. But if you had said Phil Mitchell, okay, then I would get it. So I'm sorry. I I, 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 I will keep all of my... If you're listening out there, this used to be a good segment. I'm sorry. What you could do... Do you know what you do? Pick someone could... from Stranger Things because I don't no. know what they're like. Oh, i got to pick another one Go from EastEnders. And I'm going to say Adam Woody, Woodyall, I think it is. But Ian Bale. I know. I think he's a bad guy. He's really not. Have people changed? <laughs> 
Like, has EastEnders No, whether or not they're actually nasty people is a different thing altogether. Because Ian Dale just was a... a, He was was not a nice guy. There we go. But he was... No, he was a bit of a douche. But that does not make him a bad guy. Max. Max or Phil. And even at that, Max had had an absolute push. But he just looked the part. Right, well, none of my EastEnders people (laughs) fit the bill. The Do you have someone from the bill? I never watched no, that. I, no, I, I didn't Google that while you were talking. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right, well, there's another couple of ghosts in there, isn't there? Yes. Remind me of a couple of ghosts. So there's the young lady who went to have a visit with two gentlemen. God knows what it was for. It doesn't really matter. Agnes? Uh, no, that's the witch. Okay, keep going with the young lady. Um, The young lady was the one that the seven-year-old from New York had a full-on conversation with. She was Elizabeth Ann Morrison. Okay. So you need a young, a young badass girl. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Sadie Sink. Who's that? She plays Max in Stranger Things. Of course you would. It'd even be an episode. I'm, I'm picking people you don't know because it's wrecking the segment altogether. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But sorry. I'm sure I have full confidence. I've never met her or seen her in anything other than Stranger Things, but I have full confidence in her doing a Scottish accent. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Oh, did you know that the girl who was in Jumanji, she's Scottish. Oh. She is also Nebula in Avengers. Man. She She's very Scottish. And uh, the other one, Agnes Finney, give us, give the viewers a reminder of Agnes. Agnes Finney was arrested on 20 counts of sorcery and witchcraft. I don't think it's fair to say that she was a witch though anyway, regardless of whether she was pardoned or not. She was a widow and she was left to, you know, run the businesses. So immediately my attitude would be the woman is sad and she just wants to get on with her day and sell her fish and sell her cakes and people are just asking her stupid questions and she's annoyed. Sure, if she was in Ireland, there'd be a statue and everybody would be rubbing her breasts. Well, is that what people do to Molly Malone, Stephen? Have you ever noticed? No, I haven't done it. <laughs> Like I get nothing, I get nothing out of rubbing my hand off brass. It's slightly shinier. No, surfaces. really? Yep. Google it. Google it. All image there. Poor Molly. Molly cuddled. Ah, Stephen, no. There you go. That's a prime one. Ah, Stephen, no. I. Do you know what? I knew that, but I didn't know. I like I've seen it, but I just didn't think anything I'm of it. I'm just looking at it. Like at least it's even. Yeah, that's very true. You could have like a favoritism. A fa- yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. So I think a good character, good all faithful. Go on. Kathy Bates. I don't know who else would actually play her. But this is what I'm saying. I think she could play a character who is royally miffed at people asking her stupid questions. Just leave me alone. My husband just died. I have to run the family business. I'm a female in the 1500s, 1600s. Like, how am I supposed to get through my day without you asking me why I don't make fish cakes and why I just make fish or cakes? Like, I She was the owner of the company in uh, the office, the American office, is that? No way. Not Agnes Finney. No, I know. <laughs> I know that. I'm very sorry. Do we have anybody else? I think you've actually covered everybody. Yeah, I... The fire really got me. That was quite sad because I I knew initially that the police had locked the entrance to stop people from going down, but I didn't know that people had already ran to the vaults thinking, oh, underground will be safe, not knowing that obviously stone conducts heat. And essentially putting themselves into an oven. Because initially when you look on Wikipedia, it says only 10 people died in the fire. And I'm like, no, no, hundreds of people died down there. And there's no mention of them. The story itself is sad, but the fact that those people don't even get mentioned is what's even sadder. So I will take the time to mention them now. 
We all good? All good. You wrap up? Wrap up. Okay. So if you have any questions or queries on today's episode, feel free to DM us on our Instagram. It's What's the Story Ghost. If you have any personal experience, email us on What's the Story Ghost at gmail.com. Again, another shout out to Stephen for today's recommendation. And on that note, exit jiggle. Oh my God. Bye. Shout out, Joe Swatch. <laughs>